Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Well, I, I want to speak to you this morning from this, this topic of the broken bottle. The broken bottle. Look at your neighbor and say, the broken bottle. Look at your second choice and say, it's still broken. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. I pray that you would speak to us in a very real way. God, I pray that we would encounter you today in a way that we would never be the same. We love you so much, God. We give this time to you. Do what only you can do in this time, Lord. Change us in this moment that we would be more like you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Will anybody ever do anything unreasonable? Unreasonable. Uh, as you can tell, um, a grown man on a scooter, it's a little unreasonable. Uh, I, 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 this is what happens, uh, thanks to my dear friend Alex Evangelista reminded me, this is what happens when you don't practice what you preach, right? I just told you how ridiculous it was uh, to be on a scooter as a grown man, and uh, here I was again back on a scooter. It's a problem. I, I have an issue. And uh, so I was out with my kids, and as you know, as you can see, I fractured this arm. And it uh, looks like uh, this arm is okay, even though it feels like it's fractured. Uh, but how many of you guys know the show still goes on? We, we keep moving forward. Uh, but if I keep down this progression, uh, I'm probably going to come in a body cast eventually. I won't, you know, it'll look like I'm worshiping, but it, it'll, it won't be that good. I won't be able to play keys at all. Sorry if I hit a couple of wrong keys. I mean, give me a break. I got a cast on my hand, right? But, but it's a little unreasonable. It feels unreasonable to walk around and have both hands not mobilized. But I think we can all agree that there's been moments where maybe we've overreacted. Maybe we, we've engaged in a conversation that was just a little bit unreasonable. Like anybody ever yell at your kids? Oh, none of you guys have yelled at your kids. Okay. Uh, well, let me tell you my stories. Uh, if you've ever snapped at your kid and you just know in that moment, like, this is way over the top. Like, I'm just way out of line here, and they're looking at you like, like they know you're way over the line, and you know you're way over the line, but you're not going to let them know you're way over the line. But you just know that you just came in way too hot, and that was totally unreasonable, totally not necessary. Are you guys with me on that? But, but then sometimes I think the unreasonableness can also happen when you're underwhelmed. Like somebody's sharing some good news with you, and you're like, that's amazing. And they're like, no, did you just hear what I said? Like, this is awesome. And you're like, it's great. I'm at the pinnacle of my emotions for you right now. This is, I'm happy for you, right? That, that's also a little unreasonable. Like, like, sometimes you just need to get in there and get excited with people. I, I think we can all relate to 580 Freeway. The traffic. COVID has, has definitely changed the game on traffic. Like, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Like, I was driving the other day, and it, it gets scary because you're like, did the rapture happen? Are we okay? Because it's 3 p.m. and there's no traffic. But, but we have all have overreacted either in our hearts or verbally in traffic. Somebody cuts you off. How many guys have yelled at somebody that can't hear you? Totally unreasonable. But, but you build a case and an argument inside your mind as you're yelling at your front windshield. And then some of you, you're, you're way too mature for that, a little bit more introverted. So you've yelled in your heart at people. Which is also unreasonable, right? It's traffic. It's 580. It's just, it's, it's not the greatest. I was talking to a dear friend of mine the other day. He's like, man, I was, 
I was driving, and this guy cut me off, ended up following me to my job. We got out and we fought. I said, well, did you win? He's like, yeah, kind of. I said, well, what happened? How? He said, well, we work at the same place. I said, okay, well, why did you, why did you fight? He's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what his problem was. I just threw a water bottle at his car. Totally reasonable, right? I don't know what his issue was. It's totally reasonable. It's like, bro, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't do that. And so all of us have done stuff that's unreasonable, that's not necessary. But sometimes there's things that God calls us to do that's unreasonable but very necessary. Point in case, the National Guard attending to the Creek Fire. I mean, when I heard the story, it, it, it choked us up. I think Jackie cried when we were reading this. And, you know, the, these guys were told the Creek Fire that happened in the Yosemite area. Many of you guys have heard of it. We've been inhaling a lot of their smoke. And there was this moment where the fire was, it was, it was raging. There was about 200 plus people at a campground and they were told to stand down. They said, you can't bring a chopper in there. The smoke is too thick. The flames are too hot. You just, it's unreasonable. You just can't do it. And so they decided that we're going to do something unreasonable. And they got in the chopper and they went into the, to the, to the flames and into the smoke. How many of you guys know for those people at the campground, the moment that chopper came blaring through the smoke with that big floodlight, how many of you guys know they are so grateful for an unreasonable act of courage? And so completely unreasonable, but totally necessary. Totally necessary. All 200 plus people were rescued because a couple of guys said we're going to be a little bit unreasonable. Can, can I just tell you that, that when you meet and follow the real Jesus, Jesus is going to call you to things that on the surface seem very unreasonable, but I would propose are very necessary. Right, right. On, on the surface level, it may seem like, Lord, this is a little bit too much. You're a little bit extreme. But so necessary. Like, for instance, when, when Jesus was talking about forgiveness, how, how often should we forgive? He said 70 times 7. 70 times 7. In other words, there is no limit. Like, you should not exhaust forgiveness. Then he makes it even tougher. He says, love your enemies. But he just doesn't say love your enemies. Like, that in and of itself is unreasonable. But he says, how about you give them some water? Something to drink. How about you feed them a little bit? So it's almost like you just don't want me to love my enemy like in my heart. You actually want me to use my resources to serve my enemy. Like, I don't know about you, but that just seems a little unreasonable. John chapter 17, Jesus said, I pray, Father, that they would be one as we are one. Can I tell you, in our context today, let's just take Democrat and Republican as followers of Jesus that feels pretty unreasonable for people. Like, like, Lord, you, like they're on that side, I'm on this side, and you're praying that we would, as followers of Jesus, we would be one? It's unreasonable. But I'm so, I'm so encouraged by that because the very fact that Jesus has that in there is, is this beautiful reality that it's possible that as followers of Jesus, that because of the gospel, can bring us together in a way that nobody else can. All right, so now get that out of your head because I know I just lost some of you guys, but I'm just going to tell you, some of the things that God calls us to, it's just unreasonable. I mean, when Jesus looks at the rich young ruler and says, young man, listen, your money's become your idol. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he walked away sad 
that day because he said, it's just unreasonable. It's just too unreasonable, Jesus. And little did he know he was going to get, that was the worst investment he ever made. He was really getting the better end of the deal. Life with Christ, way better end of the deal. But it just didn't seem reasonable. Or let me up the ante a little bit. Jesus said, unless you hate your father and mother and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. What? Hate my father and mother? Now, everybody knows the context of that. Jesus isn't saying hate. He's just saying that your love for me should make your love for everything else look like hatred. Like, like he's calling us to be all in. That seems a little bit unreasonable. Then he goes on and a guy wants to come and bury his dad. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Like, who says that? Who said, let the spiritually dead bury their own? I mean, it just seems like, what, Lord, that just seems unreasonable. What is he calling us to? He's calling us to be all in. And then he tops it off and says, man, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll really find it. It's like, come on, Jesus, this is a little bit extreme. Like, so it just seems a little bit unreasonable. And even for the disciples, the disciples, they had some limits in the early days. All of them ended up giving their life, except one obviously betrayed Jesus, and one was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he spent the rest of his life in solitary confinement, if you would. But they, they went all in, but there was moments where they had some limits, and that's going to drop us right into the heart of our text today, John chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. Beautiful story. It says, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Now Jesus is making his way toward the cross. The cross is at hand. He's making his way to Jerusalem. Stops in Bethany. I've been to Bethany. A nice little stop right before you get into the city. And it says that, he says, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now let me just give you a little bit of backdrop on Mary. Mary is found three times in the Gospels. Now each time Mary is found, Mary found a sweet spot where she just lived her life in every season. And that was at the feet of Jesus. And so, so on one occasion, her brother had passed away, Lazarus, who Jesus later raised from the dead. But before he got rose from the dead, she was heartbroken. She was devastated. And she came and she fell at the feet of Jesus, pouring out her pain. On another occasion, uh, Jesus is coming over to their home. Once again, Martha is serving, making all the preparations. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving all that he has for her. And in this moment, Martha, who was preparing everything, was like, girl, you're being a little bit unreasonable. Like, you need to come and help me out in the kitchen. But Jesus said, no, no, Martha, you're missing it. Mary is doing what's necessary. Mary is at my feet. And just knowing the importance of sitting at Jesus' feet, this is where Mary lived her life. She was always found at the feet of Jesus. But this moment is probably the most extravagant. Because here they are, they're, they're having a dinner. Now, what we read to be a, a common dinner where she breaks out some perfume and she, she pours it on Jesus. See, the context of this day, this was very extravagant. It was actually indecent. This, uh, this perfume was worth about a year's worth of wages. 
So we're talking maybe an inheritance that Mary is coming. We see from the other gospels where this story is mentioned. I believe Mark's gospel says she broke the jar and began to anoint Jesus. So a year's worth of wages, she's pouring out this perfume on Jesus. And as she's doing that, she's pouring out her heart. She's pouring out her soul. She's pouring out her love. She's pouring out her devotion. I'm just such an extravagant and a special moment, interrupting the entire dinner. I mean, this was a moment of interruption. And so, so you see that it says that the fragrance filled the whole house. And I love this because I think this is so symbolic that just as the fragrance filled the whole house, devotion filled her whole heart. Mary was putting it all on the line. It was totally unreasonable, totally culturally unacceptable. I mean, this was just one of those moments. She's holding nothing back. I mean, this girl takes down her hair. Come on, ladies. When you take down your hair, it's getting serious. But, but in all seriousness, in this culture, women just didn't do that in public. I, so so this, was, this was a moment. She's, she's taking down her hair. She's wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. Culturally, it was inappropriate. It was super awkward. If you're one of the disciples, you're sitting there like, whoa, Mary, kind of messing up the meal, girl. Like we, we, we were having great conversation. And she's putting it all on the line. Like, come on, Mary, this is a little too much. This is a little bit extravagant. You crossed the line from being reasonable to being a little extreme. And we know the disciples felt this. The disciples in this moment, they still had some limitations. And so Mary's deal just seemed a little bit unreasonable, seemed a little extreme. In fact, Judas was like, whoa. It says, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume and sold and the money given to the poor, it was worth a year's worth of wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas was like, man, that was my next whatever. Like, we could have sold it. You know what I could have done with that money? Man, the spa could have went. Like, come on, Mary. Like, come on, you guys, it's Sunday morning. Let's go. You guys with me? And so Judas was, was thinking about himself. The disciples, it says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. You know what this word means? It means they were annoyed. They were agitated. They were irritated. Like, like what? Like, how in the, what are you doing? They said, why this waste? Can I just tell you, sometimes what we think is a waste is really a wonder. Sometimes what we think is a waste is really a wonder. We just think it's a waste because we don't understand. Uh, like like when, I, when I hurt my wrist, I went to the doctor on Friday. It took like half the day. And I remember sitting in the hospital. I had to study. And I was just like, man, this is taking forever. So I was sitting there. And the Lord started to remind me that you are not here by accident, that you are here on purpose. Yeah, you might have been foolish. Riding a scooter, but I've destined you for this moment. Can I just tell you, I met an older couple. The gentleman's name was Tom. Got to pray with him and his wife in the hospital. What I thought was a waste was really a wonder. And then, then the guys who were wrapping my hand, both of them got an invite to church. He said, you know, I don't, I don't really want like a nice church. I need a pastor to yell at me. I said, man, I'll yell at you. Come on over. I'll yell at you for 35 minutes. 
And so, so we had some great conversation as they're, they're binding up my wounds. I'm trying to tend to theirs. See, see what, what we think is a waste sometimes could be a wonder in disguise. And so, so they, they just didn't understand what was happening. I, I wondered today what you think is a waste. And God is saying, no, there, there's a wonder behind that. You're just not seeing it. You're not discerning it properly. And I want you to see what I'm doing. And so the passage continues and it says, leave her alone, Jesus says. So Jesus now steps in and he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, again, the disciples are seeing waste, but what's happening in this moment is a wonder. Mary was able to discern what none of the other disciples could discern. Even though they had walked with him, they have heard him declare that I must be handed over to sinful men, crucified, risen from the dead. Jesus told them so many times, yet they couldn't discern it. They they couldn't figure it out. And here, Mary is like, I get it. The cross is ahead. You're getting ready to lay it and put it all on the line. And so your sacrifice has motivated my devotion. And I'm all in. And they're looking and they're like, come on, Mary. Like we could have we done some work with that. Judas is thinking about himself. But Mary is just focused on Jesus. I think sometimes we, we can sit in that moment because familiarity can breed contempt. Sometimes we can be so familiar with the Lord. We can be so familiar with certain passages of Scripture that we miss the wonder. I remember being in, uh, there, there, there was a moment where God was just kind of recalibrating my heart to the wonder of who he is. Just, just looking at some things and reflecting on some things. Sometimes we can be so familiar with Jesus. Like John 3.16 should never become old to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That should never become old to you. You don't get beyond John 3.16 as a follower of Jesus. You just go deeper into it. You get deeper understanding and revelation of the beauty, the majesty, and the reality of all that he gave. And so, but, but familiarity, it, it can bring contempt. But Mary, she wasn't messed up with familiarity. She was caught with passion enamored by love, and I just think we miss this sometimes. Judas is focused on greed. The disciples are focused on mission, but but Mary, she is focused on Jesus. And I think that there's so much going on right now. There's so much happening in our life that as followers of Jesus, if we're not careful, we can be so polarized by our self-consumement and the other side, even the mission that we even miss Jesus. Just a simple, pure devotion and a love for Jesus. So my question to you today is this, is does this type of extravagant worship of Christ have place in your life today? Like, have you broken the bottle? Like, is there a bottle right now that Jesus is calling you to break? Because as much as I, as much as I love Mary and I love to see myself as Mary, like, oh, that's me. I'm just this guy. I'm always pouring it all out. Sometimes I'm a lot more like the disciples. Sometimes I find myself like the disciples on many occasions, and I think it's for one of three reasons. Let me give you the first one. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. I think sometimes we fall into this temptation where we're, we're not enamored with Jesus. We don't have an extravagant devotion because we underestimate or we lose sight 
of the value of Jesus. It, t- it takes me back to a man by the name of Thomas Hawkins, 1555 in England under King Edward VI. Man, it was, everything was going really well for Protestants until King Edward passed away. All of a sudden, to be a Protestant, to be a Christian, it became illegal. And he didn't want his kids to get baptized through kind of the religion of the day. And so it, it came word that, that he was refraining from this. And so the only option was to renounce his faith in Christ or to be burnt at the stake. And so, so he, he went and said, he said, if, if I had a hundred bodies, I would suffer in every single one of them before I renounce the name of Jesus. Come on. Like what, what, what prompts a man what prompts devotion like that? That seems, just seems so unreasonable. All you got to do is like denounce Christ, ask for forgiveness later, man. But just no, you, you can't do that when you know him. Like it, that, just, that just doesn't work. He said, you can tear my body into pieces. And so as he's preparing to get burnt at the stake, true story, people were asking him in the prison. They were saying, man, well, how do you know? Like, how do you know he's worth it? How do you know, uh, you know, it, it's going to be okay? We need to know that Christ is bigger than the pain. And so he said, I, t- I firmly believe that. God is going to help me sustain these flames. So he got prepared. He said, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to raise my hands up in the middle of that flame if it's worth it. So the next day they tied him up, put a chain around him. He was preaching and declaring to the persecutors. They lit the fire around him. They said the fire was so thick you couldn't even hear him screaming. And he said after the fire, after his skin began to singe, everybody thought it was, it, was, it was pretty much the end. At the very end, his hands, he threw up in the air, and he clapped three times as if to say, oh, death, where is your sting? Like, like I just think about what, what moves a man to be devoted like that. I, I'm reminded of these missionaries or these uh, refugees that came to Sacramento and a pastor was explaining the, the story where Jesus calmed the winds and the waves on the sea. And the pastor goes right to application. You know, Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, kind of like your life and my life when we're going through storms and, and all that good stuff. That's what us pastors do, right? So he's explaining, hey, this is how it applies to your life. And they stopped him. And they, they, they looked at the pastor and they said, you mean the wind and the waves obeyed him? Like, like just in awe. I'm telling you, sometimes I think we lose or we underestimate the value of Christ. is because we either lose sight or we've never understood the awe of the one that we're talking about. Are you with me on that? And, and I think Mary understood something. And I think this gentleman, Thomas, understood something because she poured perfume on his body beforehand to prepare for his burial. I think Mary was just so enamored, like she knew he was getting ready to lay down his life. And that sacrifice, the beauty that God would step down out of creation or out of eternity into time, taking on the form of a servant to suffer a horrible death on a cross for a bunch of people who wanted nothing to do with him. Like Mary is just like, what? Overwhelmed with the love of God, overwhelmed with the grace of God, overwhelmed with the gift that she has in Christ. She's like, man, take it all. Let me break this open. Take it, all of it. Like, I want you to have all. And I think that's the beauty of the gospel, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Like, like listen, when you understand the bad news, 
the good news of the gospel is so beautiful. When you understood that you and I both deserve death, when, when we understand that apart from Christ, what is ahead? The wrath of God. I know it's hard to hear, but it's the truth. But, but Jesus didn't leave us in that space. He said, no, no, I'm going to step into that space. I'm going to bridge the gap. And when we can see that, can I just tell you, it makes what we sacrifice, it pales in comparison to all that he's done. I love what Peter said. Peter said that, that he is precious to those who believe. Like, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so grateful you're here today. And I don't expect you to be so enamored with Jesus, especially if you're not walking with him. That's, man, we're, we're so grateful that you're here, just checking it out and trying to figure out, man, what is going on here. It's not by accident that you're here. But can I just tell you, you get to know him. And as you believe and you begin to experience what it's like to be in relationship with him, oh, he becomes so precious. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field. And then he goes and sells everything he, he has with joy to go and purchase that field. And so sometimes I just don't think we're all in or, 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 or our devotion is a little bit stagnant. It's just because we've lost sight a little bit. And so I just want to invite you to look again at the cross. This is why communion is so important. This is why communion you shouldn't just, just do here once a month, but on a regular basis, especially in the days that we're living in, to be reminded of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, the beautiful promises, the sacrifice, and all that we have in Christ. I'm just telling you, when you, when you see that, the sense of privilege begins to fill your heart, and you'll take that bottle and you'll break it. Are you with me on that? Let, let me just share one more quick thing. Whenever I get irritated at my wife, I, I know... I know that my sense of privilege has gone down. Because remember, I've told you before, I would have died to have been with this lady. Like I cried out to God, sick to my stomach, couldn't eat because I wanted to marry this woman. And God graced me. So anytime I start to get agitated or irritated, I always got to come back to that sense of privilege. Because it reminds me of the grace of God on my life and the beauty and the wonder that I have in my beautiful bride. And that is just the truth. Sometimes we're so quick to forget. Can I just tell you, communion will help you remember. Communion will help, and so will the silent treatment. Um, <laughs> number two, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Uh, we underestimate a moment with Jesus. We underestimate a moment with Jesus. Th there was a lady in France, Compagne, France, Compagne, Compagne, France, and, and she was getting ready to move, true story, getting ready to move, and something took place where she was like, you know what, I'm just, I just got a bunch of junk in my house. She's going to hire an auctioneer. I'm going to auction all my stuff off. So one of the paintings that she had, um, oops, one of the paintings that she had um, was this painting. It's probably hard for you to see. But it's a picture uh, or a painting of Jesus being mocked before the crucifixion. And so the auctioneer was kind of looking at this thing and was like, man, this is the thir 13th century lost work of this artist in Florentine this thing has survived the Revolutionary War, a couple of wars. Needless to say, found out that it was worth $26 million. 26, hanging on her wall. How many of you guys know in that moment, the game was changed? And that conversation, just one moment, changed the game. So let me rewind back to the first century. The Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, a.k.a. Saul, he used to persecute the church, hated Christians, and then he became one. Acts chapter 7, he was still Saul. And there was a man by the name of Stephen that was proclaiming the good news of Jesus. 
mocking. The religious leaders were mocking Stephen, just mocking him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They end up stoning him to death as Saul watches this horrific moment. Stoning Stephen to death. As as Paul is, is having a visual of this painting, Jesus being mocked, not realizing the cost and the price and the matchless worth of what he's persecuting. And so he goes about his day. We're going to wipe Christianity off the face of the planet. That was Saul's heartbeat. Fast forward to Acts chapter 9. He has an encounter with Jesus. One moment on his way on the road to Damascus. I like to call it on the road to destruction because that's what Paul was getting ready to do. He was dismantling Christianity, throwing them in prison, having them murdered. He encounters Jesus on this road. One moment with Jesus the game begins to change. Jesus, uh, uh, he encounters him. He falls to the ground. A great light appears. And and Jesus says, Paul or Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? Saul's like, man, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And I really just sense in this moment that for you and I, that the Lord is asking a why do you today? I think sometimes because we underestimate a moment with Jesus, this one moment changed Paul's life completely. And I think because we underestimate a moment with Jesus, we fail to take moments with Jesus. And because we fail to take moments with Jesus, we don't experience a transformation that happens in a moment with Jesus. And so we keep running the same plays, not realizing that a moment with Jesus can change everything. And so, so I, I want you to get this picture because I believe the Lord is asking you some of the same questions like, why do you keep on that road? Why do you keep indulging in that sin? Why do you keep running away when I'm pursuing you? Why? And I think somebody's here today and you're on the road to destruction and you know it. And the Lord is just saying, I'm here. I'm pursuing you. One, just, just take a moment with me. Because one moment with me can change everything. Paul said this. He went from Christianity being completely unreasonable to saying, what's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. So here was a guy that said, Christianity is ridiculous. It's so unreasonable. Now I've lost everything and I consider it a great gain. Uh, John Tyson gives a great example of this. Anybody ever see the movie, The Big Short? Come on, you real estate entrepreneurials. So The Big Short was uh, about uh, the, the market crash in the 21st century, the first decade of the 21st century, people were over-investing in sub, subprime mortgages. And there were some people that were like, this is going to tank. But the American real estate market had never tanked like it was about to. And so they started to take what was normally in the gain pile and put it in the loss pile. And they started to invest and bet against the market. And people were like, what you, that is so unreasonable. That is ridiculous. That is, you're going to bet against the strongest market in the world. And they're like, yeah, we just see some fractures in it. No pun intended. We just see that there's just some things happening. And so, so what, what did they do? They put what was in the game pile and the lost pile, what was in the lost pile and the game pile. 
And then guess what happened? The market started to crash. And just a few, their fortunes were secure on a rock because they were able to see and discern something that nobody else saw. It's just like Mary. She was able to see what nobody else saw. Paul started to begin to see what none of his colleagues saw. And he says, man, I've considered it all lost. It's become so reasonable to Paul at this point in Romans 12. He says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I love it. Which is your reasonable service. Because in light of all that God has done for us, it is reasonable to lay everything on the line. What was so unreasonable to Paul changed in a moment's time. And so can I just invite you today, maybe just one moment can change the whole trajectory. One moment can break your bottle. Just one moment. Last one is this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Sometimes our practicality can cloud our spirituality. Practicality can cloud your spirituality. Just, just track with me just, just one, one more moment. It says this, it says, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, a woman with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made a pyrenard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And somebody who's playing piano, you guys can come back and play for me if you would. Let me just say this, she broke the jar. She broke the bottle. There was no return. There was no sealing it back up. There was... I mean, this was totally inappropriate scene. She was being way too extreme. Mary's being so unreasonable. Definitely this wasn't practical. I mean, we could have gave the money to the poor. Judas was like, man, I could have did a lot with that for myself. I mean, this is just not practical. And I think sometimes, you know, we have uh, this thing in our culture. We, we try to derive value from everything, don't we? Like we want an ROI on everything. We want a return of investment. Some of you sitting here today, you're like, eh, the sermon today, eh, five, maybe. You know, so we, we, we go out to a restaurant and pay some money. We're like, you know, the portion's just a little too small. I'll come back here again. You know, it's just the way we live. And listen, I get caught up in this. I, I'm, I'm the first one to say, man, I want a return on my investment. Everything around me says it's practical. It's reasonable. Everything that you invest in, every leadership book I read, everything says make sure. You're getting a return on your investment. But that's shifted for me a little bit. Because beauty doesn't fit in that category. You know, there was a moment where a lot of our advisory was kind of like, this is too much work to do outside church. It's not a good return on your investment. But we saw a beauty. That was like, man, if... if if, if we pour it all in just for a couple, there's a beauty in that that you can't put a price on. You know, sometimes just looking at a sunset, when's the last time you looked at a sunset? You can't get anything from it. It's just beauty. Sometimes it can provoke your heart to worship, to look at the majesty of God. But we don't take time for beauty anymore because it doesn't offer a great return. And the disciples are so focused on return, they're so focused, but, but Mary's just focused on the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. Sometimes we come to Jesus and it's all about a return on our investment. I've spent some time with you, so what are you doing? I've opened my Bible, so you better perform. Rather than just saying, I'm just enamored with your beauty. 
just in awe of your grace and your love and your compassion and your sacrifice and your patience with me. It's just, just your beauty. Mary got something. I think this is so amazing because here's, it's, it's the beauty and the majesty of Jesus that she's caught up with. And she ends up producing something that was so not practical but was totally prophetic. Is she's getting ready to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Like Mary had a part to play in the redemptive history of mankind. That little did she know, little did the disciples know, little did Judas know that, that what Mary was partake, partaking in, what Mary was doing, that seemed like such a waste was a catalyst and was a part of the salvation of all humanity from all time. And Jesus said her story will be told everywhere, all of the days. And I just don't think that she realized in that moment it was so impractical, but it was totally prophetic. Totally prophetic. And accomplished more in that one moment than that little jar could have ever accomplished on its own. Sometimes we're just counting the wrong cost, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes it's not about a return on your investment. Sometimes it's just about being in the presence of God, enamored with the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of Jesus. Oh, just to look at his face and just to be still. So as you see in this passage, it says that, that Mary, she anointed his head. Well, I thought it was his feet. She anointed his whole body. She said, Jesus, it's all of you. All of you that I want. Not portion of you. You're not the cherry on top. Lord, you are my Lord. All of you. I give all myself to all of you. So my, my question to you today is this. Will you break your bottle? When you see, you say, well, I don't even know how to, can I just say this? I always like to leave you with something practical, but not, not, not today, because I want you to go and process and pray. But can I just see, to the degree that you see he broke his body, you'll be able to break your bottle. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I just thank you for this moment, Lord, your beauty. Lord, I know even in this time, Lord, you've been teaching me. Lord, we're, we're caught in the race of producing. I think sometimes in the midst of that, we lose your beauty. We lose sight of our awe of you. We forget about your worth. We're on mission for you, but we, we lose you. Or we get so self-consumed, we lose you. It's all about the agenda. It's all about what needs to happen. It's all about this. And in the middle of it all, we just miss the most beautiful part of our life, Lord. That's going to matter both now and eternity. It seems unreasonable. Oh, so necessary just to be with you. Lord, let this week be a week of moments. Let this be a week of remembering how much you're worth. Lord, and let this be a week where our spirituality would crowd out some of the practicality, that we would gaze upon your beauty and that that would be enough. Lord, do this in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Listen, if you're here today or you're watching online, we're so grateful that you're with us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, man, Pastor Matt, I've just lost my way. I just need to come back to Jesus. 
I need to get my eyes fixed again on his beauty. If you're here today, would you just raise your hand and say, man, I, I just need to, I need to surrender today. I need to break my bottle today. Yep, I see your hand, sir. Thank you. It's awesome. Anybody else here that would say, man, I just, I'm letting it all go. Breaking my bottle today. I'm coming back home. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your savior and you need to say, man, I, I need to surrender today. I need to know the love of God, the grace of God. Is there anybody here that would say, that's me? Would you just throw up your hand? Is there anybody here that would say, that's me? If you're online, listen, I can't see you, but he does. So I'm gonna pray a prayer with you. We're gonna all pray this together so you're not in this by yourself. Would you say, Lord Jesus, come on, everybody. Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I'm breaking my bottle. I'm turning from my sin and I'm trusting you, your sacrifice, your death, your resurrection so that I could be forgiven so that my debt can be paid, so that I could be free. Lord, I surrender today. All of you, I give myself to all of you. And I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me your ways. May I live a broken bottle life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.